This morning our scripture reading is going to be from Genesis chapter 22. And I want to say something about this before we begin so you can understand why this is actually an Easter text. Why it's appropriate to go back to the Old Testament, uh, to the 22nd chapter of Genesis, and to uh, read this and to speak to this passage and to speak about and to think about what God has done for us in Christ. Excuse me while I... So before we read the scripture, I want you to recognize some things about this passage in the book of Genesis. The story here goes back 2,000 years before the time of Christ. Now think about this. 2,000 years before Jesus comes into the world, we have the life of Abraham. We have a number of stories about Abraham. You know that Abraham was the man that God chose to ultimately be the father of the Jews. Abraham, his son Isaac, son Jacob, the 12 tribes of Jacob. You know that they spent time down in Egypt for 400 years as slaves under the great leadership of Moses, about 1,400 years before Jesus. God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, brought them into the promised land. So the story that we're reading about out of Genesis is something that's written by Moses. So Moses is writing this 1,400 years before Jesus comes into the world. Now, why are these time frames important? It's important because you need to appreciate that a story 2,000 years before Jesus is a story that presents the message of Jesus 2,000 years before Jesus comes into the world. That's what we're going to see this morning. So as you read this passage, if you've got some understanding of the gospel, I want you to go ahead and think through what might be the gospel connections between Genesis chapter 22 and the story of Christ. But if you don't quite see them, that's the whole point of the message this morning to help you to understand what is really going on in the life of Abraham at this time. Why is this a passage that so appropriately speaks to this day, the resurrection of Christ? So, Genesis chapter 22, reading the first 18 verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, meaning God, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there 
and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hands the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Now, let me just stop there. You know that this is not the way we do things normally. You're walking alongside your dad. And you said, hey, dad. Your dad doesn't say, yes, son, here I am. He goes, What's up, right? But remember, this is a different kind of culture. 4,000 years ago, this is the way they actually spoke and talked, a little more formal than we would normally do. So Isaac says to his father Abraham, my father, and he says, here I am, my son. So this is what Isaac says. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, This is verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place at which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place The Lord will provide, as is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your offspring, the Hebrew word there is seed. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to see your truth, your word, your message, your gospel in this passage. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, here's why this is a proper text for Easter. It's because Jesus and the apostles indicated 
that this would be an appropriate text from which to preach the gospel. Now, how do we know that? Well, in John chapter 8, we have a story where Jesus himself is involved in a serious kind of dispute with the Jewish leadership. And they're saying things like, you have a demon. They're implying that he was born out of wedlock. They're saying that he's a Samaritan. They're doing all sorts of things against him. And essentially, Jesus is responding by making it definitively clear who he is. And he essentially says, you're not really of your father Abraham. You're actually of your father the devil. But then in John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus says this. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is declaring to his enemies that 2,000 years earlier, Abraham, the biological father of the Jews, the one that God called out of paganism to begin the Jewish nation, but also to bring redemption and a Messiah into the world. Jesus is saying 2,000 years ago, Abraham, saw my day, the day of my coming, the day in which I fulfilled all the promises concerning the seed of the woman who had crushed the serpent's head. Abraham saw this very day. He saw it and he rejoiced. And then Jesus taught his apostles to see the truth of the gospel in the Old Testament in a number of different ways. Now, the Apostle Paul, being taught by Jesus, also connects the story of Abraham to the story of Christ as the promised seed. He does this in Galatians chapter 3. Two verses in particular, verse 8 and then verse 16. In verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes this, And the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. And then verse 16, he returns to this thought and he says, now the promises, God's promises, were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is, Christ. Paul is saying that all the covenant, all the promises, everything that God had declared to Abraham ultimately had reference to its fulfillment in, its significance by, its full meaning in Christ. And so that's why we can take a story about Abraham and about Isaac and in this story, walk through the drama of the things that happened here and also see that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is being preached. Now, in a nutshell, the, the great spiritual lesson of the gospel, the great spiritual lesson 
of what we actually read about in this passage has to do with what God has done for us. It's all about grace. It's all about good news. It's all about what God has done for us in Christ. And we can say it this way, that the story of Abraham and Isaac illustrates for us the story of God and Christ in such a way that you and I can say without question, God has done his utmost for our highest good. The good of everlasting life. And such a good has God done for us that we can, without reservation, trust him always to guard and to guide our lives as we follow his son. Now, I want you to understand the key thought of the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's all about God doing his utmost for our greatest good. Now, there are three significant ideas that show up in the story of Abraham and Isaac that reflect the essential elements of truth of the gospel. So we can say these three things in three words. There's sonship. There is sacrifice. And then there is substitution. Three key ideas that we see enacted in the story of Abraham and Isaac and God reflected in the story of the gospel. The gospel which is about the divine sonship of Jesus. It's about the Father giving up Jesus as the sacrifice. It's the fact that the sacrifice that Jesus gives is in substitution on our behalf. Three significant ideas that show up in the story of Abraham and Isaac that also preach to us the essential elements of the gospel. So let's look at the first one. The first of these is sonship. There's a parallel here between the way God talks about the sonship of Abraham and Isaac and how in the New Testament God talks about the sonship of God the Father and Jesus his son. Look at the words that, that, that God uses as he speaks to Abraham to describe Abraham the father relationship to Isaac the son. He says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. It's a fourfold statement that God presents to Abraham, first of which it involves identification, take now your son, then it involves uniqueness, your only son, even though God knew Abraham had another son by Hagar, his concubine, Ishmael. No, God is saying, well, uh, we're not talking about Ishmael here. We're talking about how from the divine perspective, Isaac is your only son. Whom you love. Yes, Isaac, the one that you love, you love him beyond anything else. You love Ishmael, but you love Isaac far beyond your love for Ishmael. Whom you love, your devoted affection upon Isaac. 
And then he refers to him, fourthly, as Isaac. Well, what is significant about that? It's because God named Isaac. In Genesis chapter 17, after all the debacle with Ishmael and Hagar and all this stuff, and Abraham recognizing that he had done the wrong thing by listening to Sarah, because Sarah gave her handmaiden to, to her husband, thinking, I'll have a child through her. What a mess that brought. Nevertheless, God comes back in Genesis 17 and says to Abraham, Abraham, you shall have a child through your wife, Sarah. Really? Uh, 90 years old. You know, things stopped about 40 years earlier. Uh, what's going on here? You shall have a son through your wife, Sarah, and you shall name him Isaac. He is the child of promise. He is the promised seed. So think about this. God is identifying the unique son that Abraham has of which he's the most devoted love for Isaac, who's a child of promise. Now, what is significant about that is that happens 2,000 years before Jesus, when Jesus comes into the world, when he comes to the fullness of the beginning of his ministry, and throughout his ministry, these same four concepts occur again and again in Scripture and identifying who Jesus is, identifying his uniqueness, pointing out his sonship, pointing out that he's the promised one, the promised seed. And so, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. There it is, the Son, Jesus, the Son of God. And there he is, the only begotten Son of God, the only Son, the one-of-a-kind Son. And then we see further that on the day that Jesus is first baptized, when, when John the Baptist baptizes him, the heavens open up, a voice from heaven, from God the Father, pronounces, this is my beloved Son. Or another way of translating this, this is the Son whom I love. That devoted affection. And then throughout the rest of the New Testament, what the Bible has to say about Jesus is he was the promised one. Even as Paul says, as we've read already in Galatians 3, 16, that Jesus is that promised seed. Do you see the significance of the parallelisms between how Isaac is described by God to Abraham? Do you see the parallels in Christ that he's described in the same kind of language? No no one else in all of Scripture is described in this kind of language. There's no other child that's described as your son, your only son whom you love, and a child of promise. It is Isaac and it is Jesus. The parallel, the type, the story of Abraham 
and Isaac pointing to the greater son, the greater child of promise, the greater one that God loves above all else. The second idea we see is sacrifice. Because this is one of the most unbelievable stories in all of Scripture. Take now your son, God says, to Abraham, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to a mountain in the region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Sacrifice. Now there's a tremendous parallel in in what is happening here to the Lord Jesus. A parallel in terms of both place and in terms of the costliness of what is going on here with respect to Abraham and the heart of a father toward his son. Now, what is interesting is that when when God sends Abraham to Mount Moriah in order to sacrifice Isaac there, we hear nothing more about Mount Moriah in the rest of the Old Testament story until we come to the time of Solomon. And in chapter 3 of Second Chronicles, this is what we read, that this mountain upon which Solomon is going to build the tabernacle of God, where then all of the sacrifices are going to be offered, is in fact Mount Moriah a mountain that has disappeared in biblical history for a thousand years, reappears at the time that Solomon is going to build the great temple of God where the sacrifices of the people of God are going to be made, Mount Moriah. The temple built on Mount Moriah. Well, of course, you know that Mount Moriah is also there in Jerusalem, which is also called Mount Zion. Places go through name changes in history. And where is Jesus crucified? He's crucified in that same place, outside the city of Jerusalem, but still within the vicinity of Mount Moriah, Mount Zion. There are hundreds of even hundreds and thousands of square miles in all of the promised land. 2,000 years before Jesus is crucified, just outside the city walls of Jerusalem, on this mount, Abraham offered up Isaac in the same place. The parallel is even more stunning, though, when you think about the psychology of what is going on with Abraham and the very words that God is using with Abraham. Because God says to Abraham, look at who this is that I'm asking this of you. 
I'm asking you to sacrifice that which is not just valuable to you, that which is most valuable to you, that which is of utmost value to you, that which has ultimate value to you, every hope, every aspiration, every deepest love and life is invested in Isaac. And I'm asking you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. At the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther, the great reformer, marries Catherine Van Boren. And they're having family devotions. Wonderful thing to have family devotions. Now, you know that as a nun, Catherine Van Boren had never read the scriptures for herself. Now she's getting exposed to the scriptures as her great reformer husband is preaching and teaching and leading church, but also having family devotions. They come to Genesis 22. They read this story. It may have been the first time that she had ever actually heard this story. And when she hears the words that her husband has read to her concerning what God is asking Abraham to do with Isaac, she exclaims to her husband, well, God would never do that to his own son. Thinking, why would God ask Abraham to do this impossible thing? God would never do that to his own son, was her protest. And he said, but Catherine, he did. He did. Because this is exactly what God has done with his own son. What he didn't require of Abraham because he stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son, he did himself. What God did not even ultimately desire Abraham to do, God knew of necessity he had to. Why? Because we could be saved in no other way. What God had asked of Abraham, but did not actually require, God required of himself. God making the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of his son, his only son, whom he loved, Jesus in order to reconcile us to himself and himself to us. Now that's the great truth of the gospel. This is God's greatest statement and declaration and proof of his love for us. The giving up of his own son, the sacrifice of his own son. God giving up 
what was utmost of importance to himself for the sake of saving us. Now the third parallel continues with the thought of sacrifice as it involves the concept of substitution. That's the third connection between these two stories. Now, in the last part of the journey that Abraham is making with Isaac, remember, Isaac says this to his father. Look, the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham replies, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. That's the final key in this story to the understanding of the gospel and the understanding of the significance of this story. What we really see is the gospel is being acted out by God and Abraham and Isaac, especially with respect to this idea of substitution. Now we notice in verse 8, Abraham's incredible faith in his God. What he says in response to the question of Isaac, where is the lamb? Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. And Abraham's faith is fully validated because just as he takes up the knife to slaughter, the scripture says, to slaughter his son. God speaks from heaven, stops this from going through, and there in a thicket, providentially provided by God, is a ram that's appropriate to be the sacrifice and to be the burnt offering. Now here is the truth of the gospel. What God requires, God provides. Do you realize the significance of that? Not only do you have nothing to bring to God in and of yourself, not only is it true that in terms of who you are, anything that you would bring would be tainted and blighted and unacceptable to God. The gospel tells us that what God requires of you, God himself provides. And he does so in the substitution of his son. The gospel of Christ announced by John the Baptist when Jesus begins his public ministry. What does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he does so the manner in which God acts and God provides is substitution. Verse 13 and 14, there is the ram in the thicket. The ram dies. Isaac lives. The lamb, the ram, 
the sacrifice that God provides is slain, Isaac lives. And likewise, God the Father provides his son as the lamb who comes into this world to be that substitute. This was not unwilling in any way. Jesus himself said to his disciples, the Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom. The Savior Christ voluntarily came to give his life as a ransom for many. We were sold into bondage to sin. We were under the sentence of death. But Jesus gives his life as that ransom in our place to buy us out of that bondage to sin. It's just like the prophet Isaiah said about this substitution. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, his son, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So God the Father lays upon his son our sin so that Christ dies in our place so that we might be forgiven. What God requires, God provides. This is grace. There's a final part to this gospel story that's included in the story of Abraham and Isaac. It points to the resurrection of Jesus. Even in this story, something happens here that points to the resurrection of Christ. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 19, we read these words. Abraham reasoned in the midst of everything that Abraham is going through, when he's asked to do the impossible, when he's asked to do the unbelievable, when he's asked to do the unthinkable and offering up his own son, we are told Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Thus, the rescue of Isaac from death points to the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus who rescues us from death and gives everlasting life to those who place their faith in him. Now, Jesus tells us that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. He saw it and was glad. Paul says the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Abraham saw the day of Jesus. When Abraham offered up Isaac upon the altar, the very heart of the good news about Jesus was being displayed so that these great, great truths might be presented. Pointing to divine sonship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten 
Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. The ultimate costly sacrifice. God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? The provision of substitution. God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So in the sacrifice of God's own son, God has given his utmost for our highest even everlasting life. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is the reason why we trust God to guard and guide everything with respect to our lives. But like Abraham, have you seen the day of Christ and rejoiced? Have you rejoiced in his day? Because like Abraham, You can believe in the gospel of his son and be saved. You can seek the Lord while he may be found. You can call upon him while he is near. You can repent of your sins and return to the Lord. For all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wondrous story of Abraham and Isaac, of you, Almighty God, and your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this one great story of a God who has done his utmost for our highest good. And because you've raised Jesus from the dead, we know the proof of your love toward us. Work in us. Faith to believe. Hearts to love you. Lives that will reflect your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.